Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Seriously, We've Been Away. Caroline, you've been on holiday in the Scottish Highlands. I think your nearest sort of pocket of civilization was Hogsmeade. Is that right? <laughs> Basically, yeah. No, I've been I've been in the Western Isles, the Outer Hebrides, in the Isles of Lewis and Harris and North and South Uist and places like that, which was really, really great. It was really beautiful. And I went on my own and did lots of like reading and walking. And generally, it was very relaxing and lovely. Um, Sounds like a really Lolly Willows-esque holiday. Yeah, without basically. Without the with the devil. <laughs> without, without any kind of particularly blatant witchcraft or anything. I did visit sort of standing stones and stuff, but I didn't do any spells. Yeah, it was it was really good. It was quite Harry Potter. There were a few times, actually it was when I was, I was on the train coming back down south that we went past a loch that I'm pretty sure is the one by Hogwarts. Oh, I didn't beautiful. I didn't look this up because I didn't want it not to be. Yeah, um, you can just sort of be safe in the knowledge in your heart. Yeah, so we'll, we'll just leave it as, yes, I did go past Hogwarts. Oh. Thank you for asking. Oh, nice. <laughs> Um, so standing stones, but no, no transportation to the 18th century. No, as we're about to talk about. I went to a place called Kalanish on the Isle of Lewis, which is one of the sort of best preserved and most well-known kind of Scottish prehistoric sites. It's got three sets of standing stones. It's, it's like, it takes about two hours to walk all the way around it. Really ancient, really beautiful. It's a bit like Stonehenge, like no one knows why they're there or why they're like that. There's like a circle and then one of them... They think later they added like a cross outside each oh, of the right. circle. So apparently at certain times of the year, the stones are kind of exactly lined up with certain stars and things like that. So it's all very mysterious and complicated. And I oh, didn't really understand. Did you feel like transported by a higher power? Um, maybe, <laughs> I don't know. It was, it was still interesting and really nice. So um, without properly knowing what was going on. Yeah, it was good. Cool. That sounds really nice. And this is also, as you sort of alluded to, this is connected to the first thing we're going to talk about this week yeah which is outlander which is a tv show that was on channel stars what is channel stars i have no idea idea. it just says stars in the corner when you watch it it's on amazon prime that's i think where most people in the world have seen it yeah and it's an adaptation of a series of novels which are i have subsequently found out super famous and well known and highly read yeah it's diana is it gabaldon is that gabaldon i think yeah yeah. i'd never heard of her until i came across a tv show when I, i used to work in a bookshop and i knew that we sold high volumes of mm. this book 
or series. And so, yeah, so this TV adaptation is based on those books and her books are about a woman called Claire Beecham who is on a kind of second honeymoon after the Second World War with her husband in the Highlands near Inverness and she goes and visits a site, like I was describing, some standing stones and something magical happens. She touches one of the stones and she gets transported back 300 years. Something happened to me. any sense but I seem to have fallen through time and she arrives in the same place geographically but in 1743 I think it is so it's kind of the height of Jacobite rebellion in Scotland British people in red coats going around being awful and she falls in with this band of Highlanders and then she has some adventures that's a pretty good description yeah they sort of give her a greater knowledge of the period at hand than I think most people who were yes. unluckily transported back in time would have they do that by giving her modern day husband um he's a professor at oxford and he's interested in history and although this is not his particular period he seems to know a lot about it so when they're on this second honeymoon he's pointing out different rocks and sorts of old ruins and saying oh this was this and you know and he's also helpfully conveniently research part of the reason they're holiday in that part of the world is because he's researching some family history that's connected to these places so, <laughs> helpfully, before she gets transported back, she's got some like nicely detailed knowledge yeah. of what was going on there. It's one of those shows, there are a lot of things where you're like, hmm, that was lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, that happens a lot. There are some things the, like where she's very unlucky. So, for example, in, the, in that first episode where she gets transported back, when she goes, basically, she goes to look at the standing stone with her husband and they, like, see a ritual, like a pagan ritual happening there with lots of girls in sort of white dresses. And then she decides she wants to go back to pick up a flower. Again, you're like, oh, yeah. oh really? You really she... want to go back by yourself just so to find a flower? So she's a nurse. She was a nurse during the war. And her, the sort of excuse is that she saw some plant that she thinks might be some kind of I don't know, have healing properties or something. So she decides she wants to go back and have a look. Yeah, so she goes back by herself, dressed in, like, the world's most ridiculous thin white dress. It's, like, clearly not summer. It's, like, Halloween, so it's about this time, isn't it? So it's, like, cold. Uh, How cold was it up there? Um, pretty cold. Yeah, and she goes out, like, in a very thin white dress, and then, because it's kind of cold, she, like, throws some sort of rug around her shoulders and just goes out for a walk like that, and you're like, okay... This is stupid. And then she gets transported back to 1743 in that exact same outfit, except minus the rug. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, this is terrible, terrible decision. Like, and then she's kind of being chased by redcoats through the underbrush, yeah. wearing just, yeah. I so, guess it works out conveniently plot-wise, because then she's not wearing like a very bizarre item of clothing. They're like, oh, you're in your slip, because it's just a plain white long dress. I think that's probably why they did it. And the whole, I've, I think I've watched four or five more episodes than you have, although I've not finished the, the series. The whole thing has that element to it you sort of have to get over that if you're going to keep watching it in the sense that it is sort of all quite convenient and it all does sort of line up in ways that are a bit frustrating (laughs) yeah but that is part of the fun of it for me i think in perhaps a slightly downton abbey-ish way oh yeah one of the joys of this show i found with me sat there being like this is ridiculous guys come on so 
the basic premise even which is that she like has this husband that she's quite happy with but like you know there's a disconnect since the war their relationship has not been the same and then she gets like transported back in time and there's just like her and this hunky highlander who like keeps conveniently getting injured when she's the only person who can nurse him back to health yeah. <laughs> and i think about all the disney films where like the moment of bonding is when the woman has to like help the the action hero with like an injury and it's like one of the laziest ways of getting two characters to come together in like an action situation possible but they just do it seven times in the first episode alone yeah you're like it, guys it carries on like that and it is i think it it was a good idea on the author's part to have her be a nurse though yeah because it it gives her a, an automatic role in the time that she's traveled back to obviously she has to like not talk about antiseptics and stuff but no, she, she does although anyway. she does anyway <laughs> like she, she well she she catches on and stops doing that i think but it means that she has a skill that she can kind of barter with yeah. in this society so I and think it gives her some authority so that mm. we're not in a situation where it's literally like oh a woman goes back in time and realizes she has to be subservient to yeah. everyone which would have been boring and i was kind of worried about that because in the first few minutes she's almost raped and like kidnapped and assaulted in various ways and you're like oh is this going to be the story of a woman going back in time and realizing that she like doesn't have any independence and has to just be at the whims of all these men Mm. basically and though it does touch on those frustrations in that she is trying to be as independent as she clearly was in Mm. her own life and is unable to be but the fact that she knows a lot more than anyone else around her seems to do about how to make people better she has this level of authority that means that people listen to her especially in an urgent situation Mm. where she's like give me this give me that and she swears a lot and people are like oh my god listen to this woman she's telling me what to do and ordering me around and swearing at me but they do it anyway because they're like she seems to know what she's doing and there's also a nice bit i think it's a few more episodes on maybe episodes four or five where the laird's brother goes on a kind of journey to visit all of the sort of tenants and collect their rents for the year Mm. and he takes with him his accountant like factotum type man who is a very educated lawyer from edinburgh and claire and this guy like strike up a friendship and they they like to ride together and talk about politics and this this sort of helps her because in this in a sense this guy ned he is employed by the clan for his education and his sort of perspicacity the fact that he considers her to be an equal raises right. her you know yeah so, yeah so there's this quite they they explore that dynamic quite interestingly i think there's also as you mentioned there is a kind of game of thrones-esque rape and murder aspect yeah to i this. don't know if i've not encountered that much of it so far so far i've seen more sort of like nudity and general violence which i'm quite chill with generally yeah i mean there's a fair amount of kind of i don't want to say implicit rape because i don't think i've actually seen anyone being raped and i don't think you do see anyone be raped really but the threat of violence particularly against women kind of hangs in the air but again i'm kind of okay with that because i feel like it's realistic sadly if a soldier came across a, and we find out later that the soldier who finds her is a bad person if a bad soldier finds a woman like in her under things alone in the woods chances are he is going to do something terrible to her yeah sorry that's just the truth no i agree and i think also i haven't seen a situation where i think what people object to with game of thrones is not that it happens or that it's there but that it that it's used as a way to just kind of like add a bit of you know zhuzh to Mm. a bit of the show and like basically used to titillate or give characters a more exciting plot and I don't think that seems to be what they're doing here. Also, you know, it does make a difference, I think, that it's a female-led show. Yes, she narrates it, a lot of it. It's, yeah. it's all from her point of view. Yeah. Yeah, we should talk a bit about Jamie, her her Highland hunk. Yeah, he is very hunky, isn't he? He's very. He's a very convenient 
hunk. He's like, it sometimes feels a bit like a willful fantasy that she's just like, oh, I just landed in this wood and like, here you are. And like, here I am on your horse because there's no other horse to take me. I'm just thrown into this situation. And you're like, oh, babe, you love it. (laughs) Yeah, he is, I think, the strongest like romancy element. And and I say romance in in the kind of romance novel, bodice ripper sense. He is the like strongest trope from that. And kind of unashamedly. And that's, again, that's something that I, the first couple of episodes I was a bit like, meh. And I'm actually now quite into the series and I'm definitely going to watch it through. And I've started like tracking the tags on Tumblr and things. Yeah. Which is how you know when I like something. Yeah. Because it is a kind of bodice ripper romance trope. But because this show is entirely from a kind of female perspective... I'm fine with that. Those novels were always written for women. Exactly. And here we've got a novel written by a woman with a female character seeing it through her, her lens. It's a, an overt nod to the fact that women like pleasure. I yeah, know. I think basically what shocked me, or not shocked me, but the reason maybe I, I've responded a little negatively towards it is because it is so ashamed and then they don't try to disguise it yeah. at all. They just go straight into it as soon as she arrives there. Apart from like two men, he's the first person she sees and it is very romance novel-esque in the way that she's sort of like trying to help him and stuff but I think one of the things the show does really well is it does kind of foreground her pleasure so in the what I felt was slightly too long build up where they sort of paint a picture of her life in the 40s she is very in command of her own sex life there's sort of like scenes where she's shown saying basically oh you know me and my husband we've had difficulty since the war ended we spent five years apart but we like still really enjoy having sex with each other and you get like shots of that and also they like go into this like underground cave thing that was like an old 18th century ruin yeah and she like basically gets him to go down on her he like tries to go in for the kiss and she's like no no get down there (laughs) in a really great way so they have made a real effort to say she's in command of her you know her own pleasure she's also not a damsel in distress like Mm, that's quite inverted in a sense jamie is the one who's often relying on her for help that for me remedies that yeah I, i i like that about it as well i also like two things one i really like the setting and the scenery because as you can tell, I've just spent two weeks up yeah, there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it is beautiful. So it is really beautiful. And it's done, it's, I was watching a little um, thing on YouTube about this. It's all filmed on location in Scotland as far as they possibly can, where they've had to build sets. They've like recreated places, actual places in Scotland, right down to the point where some one of the set designer people was saying how she'd, like the castle that they they use for the exterior of the sort of clan seat, well, while they were there, she took like casts, plaster casts of the outside of it. And then when she was building the sets for the inside so that the, the like stones would be the right size oh, that's and the right texture and stuff. That's so they've really, really, really made a massive effort to like represent Scotland as it is or was rather than like a kind of American fantasy version of it. I also do really like, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but shows that are British made for an mm. American audience. Yeah, There's another really good bit in this interview with the designer where she was saying that we're not like, she, I mean, she's American. Almost all the crew seem to be American. But she said it's, we didn't want to make it like tartan and haggis. Mm. People do wear tartan, but they wear the kind of muted tartans that people actually wore at the time that were practical to wear when you mostly lived outside in a forest etc mm-hmm. etc so that's really good that they haven't sort of like touristed it up that's they've, really cool they've tried to farm out all the costume making and stuff to people at like glasgow school of art and things so it's really been a good thing economy wise up there the other thing i really liked about it is the period of history that it's set in i don't I know much about this period at all this is exactly the point no one does yeah because at least not 
in England. We both went to school in England mm. and it doesn't really get talked about at all. I'd be interested to hear from any listeners. I know we do have some listeners up in Scotland, how much you get to learn about this, but we just don't learn about it at all. No. Um, and I feel like this is a real failing. I mean, God, how many times do we have to learn about Henry VII and the beginnings of the Tudor dynasty? Yeah. When, you know, actual... British soldiers were, like, killing their own people up there. So I was really excited and pleased to have a reason to learn more about yeah, this whole Yeah, it made period. me really want to be, like... You know, there's that bit where she's like, oh, it was one of the Hanover monarchs, which one? And she's, like, thinking about... I was like, God, I'd just literally... What would I do in that situation? I'd be like, hmm, so... Yeah, so... so <laughs> do so you what, have a king? What, what? I wrote a really long essay for the New Statesman last year when it was the 300th anniversary of the Hanoverian accession to the throne about this. So I learned loads about that and a little bit as it pertained to the rest of the UK, but not so much about... Scotland it was mostly focused on the kind of German English right. interchange um so I'm not going to lecture anyone about history now if you're interested you know Wikipedia is always a good place to start <laughs> <laughs> but I read a book while I was on holiday about the Highland clearances by a guy called Andy Whiteman very good book called The Poor Had No Lawyers about how the kind of traditional way of life in the Highlands and Islands got completely destroyed by the British immediately after the period that Outlander focuses on. So after the Battle of Culloden, which I think is in 1746, which is basically when all the Scottish people got massacred, the British went on this kind of systematic campaign of clamping down on the way of life that Outlander portrays. So like tartans and clans were banned, Gaelic as a language was suppressed, and people were moved off the land that they'd always worked on. They were cleared out, hence clearances, to live and work somewhere else in an attempt to kind of break up their way of life. So I think it's really interesting to see a kind of pop culture take on a period of history that doesn't really get pop culture takes. It's like, okay, we've done the Tudors pretty much to death at this point in popular culture. There's a lot of Rome, there's a lot of, I feel like, a fair amount of Victoriana. Mm. So it's nice to get a different period of history and from a place that doesn't often get non-stereotypical representations. Yeah. I do have one question. Mm. Surely there would be some dialect change. (laughs) Why can they all just, like, chat? Like, she can just chat to everyone in her normal, like... Surely the, the the kind of English they would have been speaking would have been like dramatically different. Yeah, I think I think it would have been. I think there would have been. I like think... they sometimes chat in like stock phrases, and you're like, really? And then occasionally yeah. she's like, Ken instead of no, and you're like, mm, no. Yeah, no. I think they would have had more different, especially the less educated people would yeah. have had great difficulty. And they do obviously her. sometimes speak in in Gaelic around her, and she's like, I don't know what anyone's saying, but you're just like, would you really know when they were speaking English either? Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, to, be, to be honest, I found that sometimes in the islands is like I couldn't tell whether people were speaking Gaelic or just heavily accented right. dialect Right. Well, if English. you couldn't understand that today, I don't know what chance Claire Beecham's got yeah. in 1743. So I don't really know how they can get over that hurdle, but I'm pointing it out. Yeah. You know, I even went so far as to try and... Because our colleague Stephanie speaks Gaelic and uh, lent me some books about it when she knew I was going up there, so I was reading them while I was away. And I was watching an episode of Outlander one time and I was like, I'm going to see if I can turn the subtitles on and see if I've actually learned anything from this book. And do they do it? Do they no! Do... Oh, there are no subtitles. That's really cool, because I wasn't sure as well whether... <laughs> Sometimes was... I'm like, are you really speaking Gaelic or are you just, like, saying noises? <laughs> I was really annoyed. <laughs> that's a shame. But no, it is real Gaelic, though, because I saw an interview with Sam... Hugan, I think his name is, the guy who plays Jamie, because he is Scottish, and he was saying that he's from one of the big cities, though. This is not, like, his background, really. Um, but <laughs> he's, he's not his background in 1743. But, but I mean, like, he's not, he's not like, from Inverness or something oh, right, where yeah, this yeah. is more of a thing. He actually really enjoyed learning all about this and had started taking Gaelic lessons and in order to be able to do it properly on the show. 
and they had a few clips of him being coached and and stuff and he was he spoke very eloquently about how he felt like it was it was really nice to have an opportunity to kind of get involved with his country's heritage and oh that's so nice and stuff so i think it is real gallic basically good on you sam so the next thing we're going to talk about is welcome to night vale the podcast taking the world by storm i don't really know how to describe it brilliantly but it's sort of like a fake community radio show set in the fictional arid little hamlet of night vale and there's a lot of weird goings on in night vale basically it's done very well in the format of a sort of traditional community radio show with like updates about the town, news bulletins, the weather. <laughs> but each time something more and more bizarre and deeply horrifying seems to be occurring in Night Vale. I've listened to the first sort of 13 episodes, I think, and it's brilliant. It like took me a little while to kind of get into the rhythm of it. When I was first listening, I was like, this makes me feel uncomfortable, mm. even though nothing scary is really happening. I don't like this feeling. <laughs> but now, yeah, I'm sort of really into the, the flow of it and really enjoying it. What do you think, Caroline? Yeah, I agree. So uh, I, th- I think Night Vale, the town, is supposed to be in Arizona or somewhere like that, mm-hmm. somewhere with massive empty horizons. And There's kind no of... water at all in the town. Yeah, <laughs> it's very deserty. But they've done they've done a really good job of building up this place in your mind. Use as I say, using only audio. And the the ones I've listened to, it's just literally one guy. Yeah. To the mic. There's no. They don't sort of like go and give you sound clips from the town. It's just this guy like reading the bulletins. And then some sound sound effects sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And music. Yeah, they've built up this picture of this town. There are kind of regularly occurring characters that get mentioned. There's a football team and a school and all of these things, and they all Old get touched Old woman on. Josie and Old woman Josie. And what's the what's the name of the scientist that he fancies? Carlos. Carlos. Yes, who, who who's a kind of local scientist, and he, the ra- <laughs> the radio the radio host really likes him and often talks about how his hair is lovely and stuff. <laughs> and it's just really sweet. But it is deeply unsettling. I think I particularly recommended episode thirteen to yeah, you. Yeah, this is a radio show about you it was called or something I, this is a story that is my you. favorite one and it's also the one i found the creepiest because it's all in the second person it breaks out of its normal sort of like parish notices format and becomes like one single monologue like a story about you a story about you the person the subject of this thing and you're doing and it's all addressed to you and it's really terrifying and it's really meta this is a story about you you live in a trailer out near the car lot next to old woman Josie's house. Occasionally, she'll wave at you on her way out to get the mail or more snacks for the angels. Occasionally, you'll wave back. You're not a terrible neighbor as far as it goes. At night, you can see the red light blinking on and off on top of the radio tower, a tiny flurry of human activity against the implacable backdrop of stars and void. That was the one for me where I properly fell in love with it. Yeah. Because it's such clever writing. If you if you want to give this a go, I would recommend maybe a random one from like one to ten and then listen to that one as well. And that gives you kind of both styles that they do. 
some of it as well kind of verges on satire like to call it satire i think is like a bad way of describing what it is because it's not at all topical it's very sort of comes at things from very weird angles and that's where the humor in it lies but like sometimes there are moments where you do laugh because you're like this is verging on what real life is like Mm. so for example there's there's a bulletin where he reads out changes to the school curriculum and he says things like english and math have swapped names the syllabus remains exactly the same. <laughs> and then at one point he's like, Pluto has been declared imaginary. <laughs> and it really brings home like the idiocy of the fact that we've been like calling Pluto a planet and then something else and we have to have all these labels for stuff without actually changing our notion of what Pluto is in any real sense. Mm. So things like that I think are really strokes of genius. Yeah, and there's a kind of supernatural element to it as well, but it's addressed in such a matter-of-fact way that I find really sort of endearing. Like there's one whole episode where there are just random hooded figures everywhere in Night Vale. Mm. And then one of them gets in the studio and he just keeps saying like, hooded figure is looking at me through the door. I carry on broadcasting. (laughs) And then there's like this hissing, like the static noise that I'm sure our listeners are familiar with from our own podcast where he just starts going. And then he's like, do not adjust your radio. This is not a fault. That is the exact sound coming from the hooded man's face. Like, <laughs> And there's another episode where like a cloud sort of seems to take over the room and he's like, the cloud is nothing. It is not your god. It is not your friend. It only exists. You are a slave to the cloud. <laughs> so yeah, it's really funny, but it's just like so bizarre that it really takes... You have to kind of give it a chance before you, you can... Yeah, the other not really nice thing they do is so the weather they do every yeah. every time. The weather is not the weather. The weather is a random song. They <laughs> yeah. go they just go, and now the weather and then it plays a song for three weird. minutes. It's always got really like weird and depressing lyrics. Yeah. But I love that as well. Because there's one of the tropes in it that I've noticed already is they say they have like fake adverts and, and things like that where they're like if you'd like to call in, just whisper I'm alone into the abyss. <laughs> <laughs> I love all those kinds of things. It reminded me weirdly of that completely different style of thing. When I was a kid, there was this program on like Cartoon Network called Sheep in the Big City. Mm. And when I talk about it to people, they're always like, I think you've made this up. This isn't a real program. But it was about a farmer trying to track down his sheep in the city. But every episode, they would have like a fake advert break. And it would be for things called like Shrimpola Cola, now made with real shrimp. And then, like, someone would drink it and go, It burns. <laughs> There's like really juvenile humour, but it just like absolutely got me really giggling. And so, yeah, some of the fake adverts I really, really enjoy, which are like, Come to the abandoned parking lot behind the Ralphs. Huddle with us. You may be thinking, Who are we? Come to the abandoned parking lot behind Ralphs and huddle with us. <laughs> it just keeps saying the same thing over and over. Um, yeah, so yeah, they, like they really. They do a really good job of playing with the sort of traditional local radio formats, basically, don't they? Yeah. Which is which is, which is really fun. And as you say, it works particularly well with the adverts. But yeah, also stuff like announcing school soccer team fixtures and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Yeah, like uh, one of the other quotes I really loved from it was when he was like, the school soccer captain thanked the angels for their part in his success. The school is doing an investigation into any angelic activity surrounding the match. <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel like with this kind of show, you don't want to dissect it too much because mm, I don't want to... Yeah, yeah, it just is so funny. So I kind of feel like the only thing we can say is like, go and listen to it. The other thing uh, related to that is that there is a really sort of strong, vibrant community has built up around it on Tumblr yeah. where people draw 
fan art based on episodes and based on That's characters so nice. and stuff and some of it is so beautiful so i thought we could this week we'll we'll reblog a load of that on tumblr so if you'd like to That'd see it um we're seriouslypod.tumblr.com and you can see some of it there there's some particularly nice pictures of carlos i seem to remember that's great because although it is an audio based format obviously it's weirdly like visually lush mm. like i get a real sense of the colors and like the atmosphere there it's kind of purpley, purpley dusky, isn't it? dark yeah. blue yeah. yeah maybe like a streak of pink in there sometimes yes. the mood and atmosphere is so strong that you can't help but paint pictures in your mind so i feel like fan art is just going to be a natural extension of this kind of thing yeah it's really beautiful i want to give another shout out to a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Another podcast that's just started that's kind of doing a little bit like what Welcome to Night Vale does, but it's it's called Limetown. If you imagine a mashup between Welcome to Night Vale and Serial, the kind of true crime journalistic investigation podcast, then you get Limetown. It's a fictional podcast, but it's done in the style of an American public radio journalist investigating a mysterious disappearance at a place that sounds a lot like Night Vale. <laughs> And they're kind of, it's kind of a bit difficult to follow because they're unlike Serial where they they did the whole investigation for a year and then Mm. produced all the episodes. The way they're doing Limetown is they're, and I guess maybe this works better because it's fictional, they're they're kind of releasing stuff as and when new developments in the case Mm. occur. So... It's a bit random. So I, w- I listened to the first two episodes and I was like, yeah, this is really good. I want to get into this. When's the next one? And there's only just been a next one. Like, you know, it's really yeah. sporadic and spaced so out. So is, is this, is it by the same people or is it a completely separate it's thing? It's completely separate, I think. Right. It's by different people. But I'm kind of intrigued to see where it goes because yeah. I'm, I'm interested in this idea that, because I feel like podcasts, it's such a young medium. It's so new. And for the 10 years or so that podcasts have existed, it's mostly been roughly what Anna and I are doing now, which is some people, people sitting talking. in a basement <laughs> talking t- into microphones and to each other. Yeah. Mostly about current affairs or this comedy's always been massive or what we're doing now is a kind of pop culture. And there've been a few kind of innovators on the fictional front of which Welcome to Night Fair is kind of chief among them. But that's a really underexplored 
area of the medium i think i was really reading um an app maker talking about how people think you when you open an app you need to understand it straight away so that means that the format of the app is like quite underused in storytelling because Mm. confusion and like figuring stuff out is obviously an important part of like the arts basically and i think the same could be said for podcasting in that you kind of already know what you're going to get before you listen to most podcasts so like our podcast or like lena dunham's new podcast like you kind of know what it's going to be before you start i like that Whereas, those are in the same sentence by the yeah way. yeah <laughs> only from my mouth yeah and so this idea that you can like start listening to something that doesn't quite make sense and confuses you but then grips you Actually, is that, a really nice the, thing the app parallel is a good one it reminds me there's a, a really good phone app game called monument valley which reminds me a lot of welcome to nightville now i come to think about it which is exactly what you describe it kind of it's really beautiful it has lovely music that goes with it and you're you're a kind of little person it's in premise the game is very similar to something like super mario where like you're a little person and you have to guide them through obstacles to get to the end Mm -hmm. but it's all all of the action in the game is to do with rotating elements of the world in ways that they don't immediately look like they can. So it's a bit like, um, you know, like the Escher staircase. Yeah. It's all like that, trying to rotate things to find the planes on which your person can walk. Yeah, that's fun. And you can stare at it for, like, minutes, hours even, and be like, there is no way this person can get there. And then you stab at the screen a bit, you're like, oh, yeah, that bit moves. Um, (laughs) So it's it's not immediately apparent when you first open it that there's anything you can do with it but it's still beautiful and interesting. Exactly, and I think that's the joy of a lot of these Mm. things. So congrats to the makers of Welcome to Night Vale, and hopefully they'll inspire lots of, as as they already are doing, inspire lots of other uh, podcasters to get creative with the format. Yeah. And now the swappy reviewy part of the show. I was thinking we should think of a name for this. Why didn't we think of a name for this before know. we started this? Because then we could be really cool and be like, and now the beginning of the blah 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 segment. I've always wanted to have a thing called the analyst. The which analyst, is, which is a list of me analysing things. <laughs> but uh, it doesn't really work. The Caroline and analyst. Um, I don't know. It's a thing anyway. So uh, that what, bit. That bit. We're going to do that bit. Now. We're going to do it. Uh, we're doing it. So Caroline, last week or a little while ago now, we uh, we agreed that you were going to read "I Love Dick," the Chris Krause uh, sort of epistemological epistolary epistolary. That's the word. <laughs> Feminist. I mean, novel. Do we do we call it a novel? What do we call it? I don't know. Um, I think probably it's an epistolary novel in the sense yeah. that it's mostly told through letters and transcripts of phone conversations and faxes and stuff, but. Uh, I don't want to get into what is a novel. It it looks the book looks like it's a novel, so let's say it's a novel. It definitely comes as it a book. Comes as a book. So I read this while I was on holiday, and I ended up really, really loving it. Good. I did not like it for the first third. I also I had a very similar experience with this book. I'd say. In fact, I think it took me probably longer than you to decide that I liked it because uh, so many people I knew were raving about it, and it was so. I found it so like theoretical. Mm. I found it very like heavy going. And then there was a point, I can't remember what the line was or what the phrase was, but there was a point where I was like, oh my God, this all makes so much sense suddenly. Um, and I, I, one of the things I like about it a lot is that it's, it's so, it's almost like there's heat coming off of it. It's mm. so full of like raw emotion at all yeah. times. And that's something that you don't often read like that. I think even if you are reading, you know, very 
emotional novels i don't think it has that that level of sort of like almost rage yeah and and desire and sort of raging yeah. desire that's why the kind of epistolary form works so brilliantly and i think because you're not getting her emotions mediated at one remove through paraphrase or indirect speech or anything mm-hmm. like that you are getting the letters as she writes them in the order she writes them, the phone conversations in the order they happen. So it's the closest you can get, I think, in the kind of printed word, written word form to feeling close to what's happening in someone's mind at a given moment. Yeah. We should say briefly what it's about. It's called I Love Dick. When you are reading that title in a kind of acid green copy on a ferry to the Isle of Skye, say, (laughs) and people see you reading this they might start huddled conversations in Gaelic in corners about you that might be a thing that will happen yeah it's a real experiment isn't it because they will make certain assumptions about what the book is about that is wrong the book is called I Love Dick because she's obviously playing with the she's playing with that assumption but the book is about a character called Chris Krause who happens to have the same name as the author and her husband Sylvair who happens to have the same name as the author's Mm ex-husband their sort of obsession and infatuation with a man called Dick I can't remember where they meet him now. They're at a party and he's there or they in a bar or something. They go for a dinner at his house, I think. Or yeah. they meet him at a bar and then they go back to his house for dinner. I can't remember. But they end up staying over the first night at his house. And then when they wake up, he's not there. He's gone out and they sort of leave before he comes back. So he's this kind of eternally not present object of desire. Which I think is always how it has to be yeah. when you desire someone like that. You can't know them. You can't yeah. really have a, a real understanding of them as a human. But so Chris Chris and Sylvain get really into the idea that she fancies Dick. They um, sort of talk about it on they've got they've got a long drive home from his mm-hmm. house or wherever they've seen him, haven't they? And they and they spend the entire journey kind of like talking about Dick and like what Dick's life might be like and why they both felt so compelled by him and then when they get home they start writing letters to dick that they they never intend to publish or post or anything they're just sort of they exist only in the moment for them to write down and for each other to sort of read and laugh at and enjoy and then they kind of they they separate for a while because he he has to go and do some teaching in paris or something and she they're moving from where they've been in california to new york and so she's driving across the country this is where because i had a similar moment to you where it suddenly was like oh this book isn't rubbish this book is brilliant and for me it happened while she was on this drive from california to new york Mm. and she was kind of staying in all of these motels and kind of stopping randomly on the road and the whole time she's kind of talking to dick in her head she's writing letters to him in the evening and I think the bit that made me pivot and like it was when she's staying in a motel one night and she she's writing a letter to Dick and in the letter she's like, I'm only writing this because I left my book in the car and I can't be bothered to get cold again just to read a few more lines of Guillaume Apollinaire. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly that's like, yes, I love you. That yeah. is exactly how... Because there's so much contained in that because she's like, I'm reading this book because I think I ought to. I'm not necessarily enjoying it Mm. and now I've had to quantify it against do I want to read it enough to get slightly cold and I don't (laughs) yeah yeah part of that as well that that idea it's like oh dick I'm only writing to you because of this or you know x y and z there's something quite like although it can sound like a fairly anti-feminist thing to be like oh yeah this woman just gets completely obsessed with this man and like writes to him all the time about how much she loves him it's not like that at all. She's very much the person with the power in the mm. novel. 
and she's sort of harnessing her own like desire as a way to empower herself which is like not a way i'd ever seen especially female feelings of like longing framed it had always been like oh yeah this kind of like sad needy girl and Mm. although she kind of is that it's just framed in this incredibly like active powerful dominant way it made me really excited that idea i would link it very much to magic mike in this sense yeah not that everything's about magic mike but a lot of things (laughs) are about as you will have learned from this podcast a lot of things are about magic mike um in the same way that when we talked about magic mike very early on in the podcast i think episode two if you want to go back and listen to that one of the reasons that we and lots of other people really like magic mike is because it makes explicit on screen the fact that women are allowed to like look at and enjoy men's bodies and this is related this novel because whilst yeah she is being kind of needy and she kind of self-admits at times a bit pathetic about it she is writing about it and acting on it and living it and we are getting that expressed in a way that almost never happens you know in so many novels it's just like oh yeah and then Jane Eyre was a bit sad yeah moving on and she's also actively theorizing it and creating a yeah a way of living out of an emotion which is really like rare to do she's not justifying she's not saying oh yeah I'm being really sort of like weird about dick but you know it's okay though because my film's not doing very well so I'm really sad yeah she's just it's just accepted it's like yeah i'm experiencing a period of desire for this man yeah my thoughts about it and i like it again it's sort of in magic mike they do a thing where they're like hey this is our like mission statement as it were this is this is how we look at female desire and it's an important part of our life and this is our relationship to it and that's what um she's doing in i love dick and i think the fact that you say you know oh i can be sat on the bus reading this book called i love dick and people like murmur and titter i kind of feel like that's part of what she's doing in this because it is quite shocking to say like yeah i experience desire for male bodies that's that's something that happens to me and i think that's quite unusual especially for you know this is a fairly like teenage book in a way Mm. she's what in her 40s or late 30s so, so i think that's it's quite unusual to allow women of that age to have extreme feelings like mm. that or if they do it's it's considered you know ridiculous and hysterical whereas this is a way of making those feelings both extremely fervent and extremely not quite uncontrollable but you know difficult to manage and yet also extremely intelligent and worthwhile and might actually give you something and lend you something as i say i didn't i didn't enjoy the book all the way through but i definitely was really enjoying it by the end mm. so i would i would encourage listeners to read it i mean it has now finally been published in the uk it was first published in the us in the 90s um in the aforementioned acid green edition that it's really nice it's a really nice book really nice object um i would i'd really encourage people to read it and to kind of push through it to to not be put off after the first 30 pages yeah because i i also found it very difficult to get to grips with her tone and her voice and stuff um but then having read it it's now something that like literally enters my thoughts all the time Mm. like every piece i write i'll be like as chris krauss says (laughs) (laughs) and i just like can't i can't imagine what it was like to have a brain that hadn't read i love dick Mm. you know although i I wouldn't say it was like the book that gripped me most or the book that i like enjoyed reading the most i now look back and i'm like wow imagine if you hadn't read that book and like yeah i feel like it's formed a lot of my thoughts about the world so yeah i would definitely recommend it so from that to something a bit different for next week anna i'm going to recommend you the 2005 film transamerica 
which is a kind of I suppose a comedy drama. It's it's not a romantic. You seem unsure about that label. I am unsure about that label because I feel like I'm saying it's two things at once, but it can be two things at once. It's a film. It's a story about a trans woman going on a road trip with her son, um, who she didn't know that she had a son because she'd only ever had sex once, sort of pre-transition, and she had no idea that it resulted in conception and suddenly she's confronted and right at the moment when because it's I think she's just about to have her surgery and she's right at the point of this kind of big momentous change in her life that she's been kind of desperate for and longing for and working towards for years and suddenly this this kind of new thing is thrown at her like oh my goodness I have a child he's I think he's in his late teens he's like 17 or 18 or something he's in trouble and there's no one else they can call so she ends up having to go and pick him up and they drive all the way across America together to get back to where she lives in California she picks him up in New York I think in the process of this you know what four or five day journey they kind of get to know each other a bit and they talk about her gender identity and how she's arrived where she is a friend of mine really you know when someone's really passionate about something and they like push the dvd on you a friend of mine did that about four or five years ago he gave me the dvd and then asked me every time i saw him after that have you seen it have you watched it yet have you watched it yet have you watched it yet well once i watched it i did I did understand why, because it's not it's not the kind of portrayal of these issues, in inverted commas, that you often get to see. It goes back to what we were talking about when we talked about um, the sitcom Boy Meets Girl, mm. that I feel like when you do get sort of trans stories told in popular culture, they're often about sort of violence and abuse and difficulty. And, and there is difficulty in this story, but it is fundamentally someone who has manage their transition quite well mm. and is quite okay yeah and and the, it's been quite lucky and it's quite been quite lucky and the drama of the story therefore rests in her like this thing with her family and this thing with her son that could happen to anybody it's not happening because she's trans you know it's not an inherently trans no, plotline not at all um and so i understood why he was so passionate about this film after i'd watched it because it's so rare and all the better for it cool well i'm really excited to watch it that'll be fun Thanks for listening to Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoy what we do, you might want to consider following us on Twitter at SRSLYpod. We post links to things we've mentioned in the show, gifts we like, and all manner of other things you'll probably enjoy. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina.